Hi, everyone. My name is Jonathan Fries, and you are listening to What the Fuck? Where we talk about topics that have caused so much damage. People don't come to church anymore. I'm the senior pastor of Music of Life Church, Appleton, and I'm joined by the senior pastor of Music of Life Church, Kimberly. Pastor Joel Swakowski. Today, 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 today. Hi, hi, hi. Hello. Thank you for having me. Hey, can you turn that reverb effect off on your voice, please? Sorry, I'm I'm in a stadium right now. (laughs) Live podcast. Yeah, I'm just echoing. Sorry. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm I'm uh, excited to be here today. Oh, I am ready for this. This is a a big topic. This is something that Pastor Joel and I have experienced a lot of conflict in. Oh, yeah. Our topic is grace. 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 What is the background for the topic of grace, Pastor Joel? Yeah, this is a heavy one, isn't it? It is. We've experienced a lot of conflict a lot of damage a lot of uh rough situations because of it so let's talk about it let's record it and talk about it right because it's also one of my favorite doctrine to discuss life-changing so power it is life-changing it's powerful it is so we've covered faith and we stated it's one half of salvation right we also saw how sin is defined relative to faith salvation is god's response to sin and grace is the other half of salvation so ephesians 2 8 we use this in the faith episode mm-hmm. for by grace you have been saved through faith these are the two foundational principles of salvation grace and faith important stuff oh yeah literal salvation on the line here big big background point here the protestant reformation i'll say this it did a lot of good Mm. in that it helped the common man get access to the bible however it also did some bad in that it helped the common man get access to the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) I think I understand what you're saying. (laughs) Because we, we love, we love the accessibility we have to the word of God today is just, it's a gift. It is. However, the more men that get their hands on the Bible changes are made. And this is, you know, we're, we're talking simply translations. The word of God being translated from the original text into hundreds of different languages, into English, like we experience, it is inevitable that men are going to get their hands on it and translations change these words. And sometimes mm-hmm. the translations aren't exact. So I think there's some understandability here which one of the reasons why you and I recognize regardless of how accurate my translation is in the Bible that I use to study scriptures, 
it's really important to get down to the definitions of the original language. But my point here is we see not only our translations, men get their hands on it, but we saw this with definitions too. And, you know, we saw it with sin. The, the definition of sin widely used in the church is from a dictionary and not from the word of God. Mm. And when men get their hands on the word of God and when men get their plans and traditions and beliefs in the place of the word of God and the will of God, bad things happen. Mm. You can see this. You look at the Old Testament, prove this out. God wanted to lead Israel through judges. Really, God wanted to directly lead Israel. And the judges were part of that. The people, the men, the humans and their plan was not, we want a king to lead us. How'd that work out? Ew. Right. <laughs> so that's this background. The big background is really grace is half of salvation. The Protestant Reformation, we'll see, did a big part in how we view that today. And, and really, you know, there's, there's kind of this good and bad aspect of, of the accessibility of God's word. Yes, we want everybody to have access to the word of God. Yet, the more men who get their hands on it, the more changes are made. That's really interesting. I have an analogy that I wanted to kind of throw out here. As you were talking, I was thinking about it. What now, is it? Yeah, I'll, I can't wait to tell you. Pastor Joel, how musically talented would you say you are? <laughs> well, I mean, is none an answer? N none could be an none. answer. Like, okay. if I had to play an instrument, I would choose, like, I would want to say the egg, but I feel like that requires too much rhythm, rhythmic, <laughs> rhythmic ability. So, like, let's choose the song with symbols where all I do is hit the symbols once at the end of the song. Um. Did you know that you have at your fingertips enough musical equipment to make your own album? I didn't. You have recording software. You have a home recording studio capability uh, in front computer. of you right now. Mm. So this is the world that we live in currently. Oh, no. I think I know where you're going with this. <laughs> so recording studios used to be crazy expensive and they used to be run by, you know, professionals, people who did this, who, who recorded music for a living. It was so complex that oftentimes the artists themselves were not allowed in the control room because it was like a whole, it was a separate process. Yeah. The okay. musicians, you can't deal with all that technical stuff. You're just the musician. So just play music. Yeah. And the same thing with the technical people. It's like, they just did the technical, they just recorded your music and the worlds didn't meet Okay. because it was so complex yeah. because it was so, you know, it was, it was such an intense world. And that meant that the music that would come out was much more controlled. Okay. Meaning there was less music that was coming out. Right, yeah. Today, if you wanna record your own album, 
you don't need to practice and or have the money to be able to pay someone for studio time. You can record your own music because you got a recording studio right in your bedroom right now, Pastor Joel. And instruments too. Yes, you have instruments. You do. Because right with the software, not only does it record, but I can I can input without ever having played a guitar in my life. I could input chords from a guitar into the recording software and create a song without any musical ability that I've I like I've self-professed no musical ability. Yes. So it waters down the industry then. What it, yeah, and it, and it does, and it kicks out a bunch. And so we are inundated with so much music. We, there is so much information that it takes a little bit to sort through. But this is a time in music history that I believe is really exciting because people can get a hold of good music very quickly. Yeah. Okay. So that's where I see this opportunity as, as you know, because, and, and it's the same thing with podcasts, right? Like we, yep. there's so many podcasts, there's so many different things out there that I think if there's truth out there, or there's a good podcast, I think people, if they want it, they can grab a hold of it. Right. But it does, it is a double-edged sword, right? It is. So the accessibility oftentimes lends itself to, you know, not very good not very good product more products that aren't very good yeah what's the famous recording studio that you recorded at out in la uh it was it was called sound city sound city closed right and some of the best albums of the last 40 50 years were recorded there that's right and dave Grohl bought the soundboard and brought it into his own studio that's how much that meant to him that's right this guy doesn't like there was something special about that style of recording music, the quality yep. of it. Yep. That honestly, it's it's hard to replicate. And and yeah, I think that's a good example. It's like, man, this this guy had a Gutenberg. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's like he had a Gutenberg of the sound of the totally. sound Totally. And he bought it and brought it to his own home studio. Totally. And now there's, you can get like plugins that you could buy, Pastor Joel. You could buy these programs that would enable you to have sound that is similar to the soundboard that Dave Grohl has in his studio. Yeah. Wow. It's just crazy. It is. So, but you know what we have too, is we have all of these Bible apps and all of these resources and I can click, you know, on my cell phone, I have thousands and, and potentially hundreds of thousands of concordances and dictionaries right. at my fingertips that, that would make me a biblical scholar, right? Absolutely. And I'll, I'll say for myself, I do all of my research is all online now. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a library filled with all these concordances and commentaries and all this stuff. And, and, not kidding, all the concordances and commentaries that I own hard copies of are accessible online. Awesome. So it's just easier. Right. And that's why you don't hear people, you don't hear pastors at churches much anymore 
feeling bad about people not bringing their Bibles to church. Right. Turn your Bibles or use your, like I'll even hear people say, turn your Bibles to this passage or use your smartphone app or whatever you have. And people are flipping on their, and it's like, that's okay. Yep. Nope. No problem with that. No problem. It is just a crazy, crazy time we live in as far as the accessibility of information though. It is. And the the amount of it out there. It's so true. So we're, we're in need of good information. Yeah, we are. Okay. That was a huge introduction. Yep. Um, so going back to grace and the history of it, um, and the reformation, how have people been hurt by this in the church, Pastor Joel? Well, this issue has affected the salvation of millions. Mm. The church has landed on two sides, both of which are hurting people. Mm. The two sides are essentially broken down by this. Salvation done by works or not. Or not done by works? Right. Is salvation okay. of works or is salvation not of works? Oh, I see. Okay. Those are the two sides. Okay. But back to the Protestant Reformation, another one of the another one of the good things that happened out of that Reformation is that it brought to light the fallacy of earning or working your way to heaven. Hmm. That was the big thing that Martin Luther did. As a Catholic monk, he gets frustrated at the church for essentially saying if you give us this amount of money or stuff you're good you're in Mm -hmm. so he's like nope that's not the way it works so Mm -hmm. let's swing the pendulum to the other side and that's the issue so yeah that's a good thing that it got salvation out of the hands of this belief of we can earn it on our own but the pendulum didn't stop swinging and it went uh, way too far the other way, which we'll get at when we get to the loose side. So what does this conflict or issue look like in the church? So let's start with the strict side. The strict side is really looking at salvation as works-based. Okay. And, and really grace as, you know, as an effect, it would, it would imply that about grace and faith then too. So, and we, we still see this in certain denominations today or in certain approaches to Christianity. Similar to the faith topic, this looks like telling people they need to do certain behaviors in order to prove they're a Christian. You know, we talked about this a lot. You know, it's, it is, it's the list of things you need to do. Right. Go to church, read your Bible, tithe, et cetera, et cetera. Do these things and it'll prove you're a Christian. I might not say... And it'll prove you're a Christian, but I will say you need to do these things. Mm. So that's the strict side of this argument is it's works-based. Nice. So how do they support that strict perspective with the Bible? There really isn't any biblical support, especially since Ephesians 2.8 states, not of works, lest any man should boast at the end of that sentence. This means people are saying it's not of works, but then judging people on what they do. So that's why I said, you know, I might not say you need to do these behaviors because it'll prove you're a Christian. I might stop at saying you need to do these behaviors because I don't want to say it's works-based. However, my behavior is showing that that's what I believe because I'll judge you if you don't do these things. 
Mm. Which this is hypocrisy now. However, how do I prove I'm a Christian? Like if if I, I, I don't understand what salvation is, if I don't understand grace and faith the way I need to, how do I prove it? I need to go witnessing. I need to go tithe. Mm. I need this this does this strict side does lead people to looking at the Bible and seeing these behaviors, these effects, and turning them into a cause. Hmm. And I've even heard, I've heard a large denomination define grace as the power of God to do his will. And that sounds great. Hmm. However, the meaning and the application of this is that I have within me the power to do God's will. It turns into me doing works as a cause. Interesting. And then essentially saying, you know what, because God created me, it's really God. So it's not works. It's not a works-based religion. Interesting. So this, it's weird. Like the, there's verses that definitely contradict grace coming of works and salvation coming of works, but we see an application. This happens all throughout the church. Mm-hmm. So how do people argue against the strict perspective? What's the actual issue here? Well, I'd ask if someone came at me and, and told me I need to do all these things to prove I have grace or, or whatever, you know, to prove I'm saved. I could ask them, how do you know what works are an effective grace versus you. Nice. Or even nice. ask, don't you see the contradiction? Grace is not of works, yet the focus is on what you do. And the way to remove the contradiction is through causality. We saw this with the faith episode as well. You know, James said, faith, faith without works is dead. Hmm. And we saw that, you know, we talked about how there were, there were some, some fathers of the church back, even in the Protestant time, Protestant Reformation times that really didn't like that verse because it did have this emphasis on works, but all you and I did, it was this simple resolution when you apply causality to it. Faith is the cause works of the effect. Mm. The same here with grace. We're going to see causality helps us remove this contradiction. Understanding what is the cause and what is the effect will clear this whole thing up and bring us the resolution we need. So when you say great grace is not of works, yet the focus is on what you do, you're saying the you is the cause of those actions. So can you kind of can you kind of pull apart that contradiction a little bit? Yeah, if I'm I'm gonna say Let's let's say I'm preaching a sermon on grace, on salvation. Salvation is not of works. Grace is not of works. Yet, and that's great, right? Mm-hmm. That's what the Bible, what the Bible says. Mm-hmm. Yet I end the sermon by telling these people they need to do all these things. That's the contradiction. Okay. Like, if if I'm giving people actions or behaviors that they have to do without addressing the cause of those behaviors that's the issue oh 
Because in the first half of my sermon, I'm telling people grace is not of works. Okay. Grace is not of works, yet do all of these. Yeah, yet do all these works. So that's the country. Well, is it works or isn't it? Uh Uh-huh. Got it. So what we need is causality. We need to understand the cause of the works. That's going to bring us the resolution we need to understand even the scriptures that do have a list of behaviors we need to do. Beautiful. When we understand the cause of those behaviors is when we can help people really understand what God's looking for us to do and why and why. Nice. So to summarize the strict perspective is grace, which is half of salvation has been defined by people according to the works we do yet. This is a contradiction to the Bible. Right. Awesome. Well then before we, go to the loose perspective. Why don't we check to see if we, oh, and we do. We have a call, Pastor Joel. Awesome. Who is it? It, it, oh, I see it. It's from Pastor Richard Tater. Wouldn't you know? Wouldn't you know? All right, Pastor Dick, you are on the line. Uh, hello, yes, Pastor Joel or Pastor Jonathan. How y'all doing? I have somewhat to say on this matter. Like I said last week, I do have a photographic memory, and grace is the toughest word in the Bible to define. So I was taught it was, in fact, undefinable. Every definition that my mentors gave could be proven to contradict at least one verse in the Bible, y'all. In fact, as newer translations of the Bible were published, the word was replaced with, and I quote, favor favor in several spots they each changed the definition in newer concordances (laughs) it was almost like they wanted to have a different definition for each passage in the bible i pointed this out to my mentors how'd that go they actually admitted they didn't know how to help people have confidence in their salvation so we had uh, altar calls every week They were so afraid of appearing to be wrong. I knew the definition in the old concordances, but I didn't understand it until restoration. Perhaps you can let your mentors know about our show. Mm, Well, that will be difficult, Pastor Jonathan. Uh, We can talk about that another time. As always, this was my favorite podcast. To hate. God bless! Okay, well, thank you, Pastor Tater, for the call. He sounds energized, Pastor Joel. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm I'm with him. I, I feel like I've had similar experiences. I've heard pastors say grace is undefinable as well. Mm. Worse... I've watched members accept this, Mm. even though it involves half of their salvation. Mm. Like what topic do people need more? Right. Like for their own, we're talking about your eternal destination here. So. Man. Yeah. Awesome. So what's the other side of the argument? What's the loose perspective? Well, Pastor Tater touched on it. You know, he he mentioned favor. This is because grace has been defined as unmerited favor. Mm. 
this is the big swing that the Protestant Reformation did with this topic of grace. Martin Luther brought this works-based legalistic religion of the 16th century to an entirely new place. Grace is something we don't deserve. Now, do I agree that I don't deserve grace? Yes. Mm. But is that the definition of grace? No. Hmm. Like Pastor Tater said, this definition contradicts several passages in the Bible. This is where people, I think, misunderstand what it means to have the right definition. You know, because I could say God is awesome. Would you agree with that, PJ? I would. Is the definition of God awesome? <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. Because it doesn't get to the cause of who he is. Nice. Is grace unmerited favor? Yes. Is that the definition of grace? No. Mm. It's not the cause of grace. Nice. So yes, I don't deserve it. But to say that that definition is actually how grace works and what God means by grace is flawed. Hmm. So you see how this pendulum swung from we work our way to heaven to we do nothing. We have no responsibility at all. Oh, wow. So how have people been hurt by the definition of grace being unmerited favor? With this definition of unmerited favor paired with defining God's nature as love has led to the belief in universalism. So if y'all go back to the God is love episode, you could listen to the whole God's nature series again, if you want. But one of the things we talked about with God's love being God being defined as love is it results in this universalism doctrine. Hmm. No one goes to hell. Everyone goes to heaven. Well, the other half of that is defining grace as unmerited favor. Because if God is love and grace is unmerited favor, then this is the logical conclusion. Right. But the big way people have been hurt, I mentioned it. It really is unmerited favor removes any responsibility I have for my thought process and my behavior. Yeah. And, you know, we saw this with sin too. It's the loose side of sin does the same thing. There is no sin in my life. Why does that hurt people? Because it removes the responsibility I have on dealing with the sin that I do have in my life. Hmm. It gives me an excuse. And really, we, we talk about how people have been hurt. I wonder, sometimes when we talk in these doctrine, is this hurting God? Hmm. How does he feel about this? Wow. I mean, we have projected man-made doctrine onto him onto who he is and onto words and and concepts and doctrine like grace do you think he feels understood hmm. man that is a great question so how would you handle an interaction with someone who held that perspective pastor joel on this loose side grace being unmerited favor yeah one of the things I, I, I love is I can see throughout scriptures that we're taught to grow in grace. So I could ask a person who holds to this loose perspective, well, if grace is unmerited favor, how do I grow in grace? Wouldn't I need to do more unmerited things by sinning more? 
now we can see also why having the definition of sin is so important. Yeah. But Paul spoke exactly the opposite of this perspective when he stated at the beginning of Romans 6, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Actually, I'd bet that this is one of the passages that Pastor Tater would have quoted to his mentors. Because hmm. that passage from Paul contradicts the definition of unmerited favor for grace. Nice. Cool. So when you see this going on in the church, what are your thoughts? Well, I get frustrated. I get sad. Yeah. I think how many of these people here are really saved? Now I'll say that. I want to say this quick. You don't have to know this is the definition of grace to be saved. You have to live out this definition of grace. So I want to make that clear. We're not preaching mental ascent here through our podcast. Nice. We're not preaching special new revelation. We're preaching God's word and how he defines words in a non-contradictory manner. We're preaching truth. But knowing truth doesn't get you to heaven. And I'm not saying that. But knowing truth can help you do it on purpose. Cool. So that's really what we're trying to do here is give people the tools to do this intentionally. Cool. I, I see this manifest, you know, like all these topics, we see this manifest in three different types of categories. There's the people I feel sorry for. These are people who believe that they are good because God unilaterally made them that way or unilaterally imputes righteousness on them through unmerited favor. Hmm. How is this any different from the belief of non-Christians? I mean, doesn't everybody? I mean, even like people who don't believe in God, people who aren't Christians, you ask them what they believe in. A lot of times what they're saying is, well, you know what? I'm just trying to be a good person. That's right. Yep. Trying to do good things, be a good person. Yep. And you know what? I think if the scales are balanced at the end, if I do more good than bad, then I'm good, right? So doesn't everyone believe that they're trying to be good and God will save them in spite of their sin? But not only that, these people also ignore any confrontation regarding the contradictions in the belief of unmerited favor. So these people are trying to avoid the responsibility, right? They don't want to be shown or even told that their beliefs are wrong or contradictory. So they hold to this contradictory belief because of the benefit they see of it removes them from the responsibility of the wrongdoing they have, of the wrong things in their life. Mm. And there's the people we understand why they do what they do. These are people who know that grace is not of works and they know that grace cannot mean I am no longer responsible. But what's the answer? These people see a contradiction. They may even have left the church because of the damage this is causing. Again, we see there's no difference between people who go to church and people who don't. Hmm. In other words, how are Christians different from non-Christians when we're talking about traditional beliefs like this? Then there's the people we're impressed with. I'm impressed with the people that know that grace is God working through their lives. These people know 
God is the cause of grace. And the way to live by grace is to allow that cause to work through their life in their behavior. The works are an effect. Hmm. Which brings us to our ultimate answer, which we've been patiently waiting for, Pastor Joel. What is the ultimate answer in relation to the topic of grace? Yeah, this is, you know, Pastor Tater said it. This is like maybe the hardest definition in the Bible. The ultimate answer is grace is the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. So let me break this down a little bit more, maybe in some more common language. Mm -hmm. Grace is God's influence, God's flow, God's power on my heart and that power that influence manifesting itself in my life, in my behavior, in my words and actions. Another way we talk, we say this, I often don't, when I'm just conversing about God and about grace, I often am not using this definition to say how God's working through me. What I'll often say when I'm referring to God and grace is he's flowing through me. Mm -hmm. I'm an instrument that he flows through, that his spirit works through. Mm. This definition is non-contradictory. It never contradicts any use of grace when translated from the Greek word charis in the entire Bible. And, and I'll break this down this way too, because a lot of times, and we'll we'll get to this when we do the salvation episode and stuff, but Grace is key to us understanding salvation across all dispensations throughout the entire Bible. Because hmm. a lot of times when people are talking about grace and salvation, like they talk about it as if there's a difference between how people got saved before Christ came to earth, while he was on earth, and after he died, buried, and rose again. But when you have the right definition of grace, it actually answers all of those questions. So, Everyone who was, is, and will ever be saved is an effect of allowing God's influence to reach their heart. And this influence is reflected in their life through actions. Again, whether they're aware of this or not, a person can be allowing God to work through them. They don't realize it's grace, but it is. So what's more important, me knowing it's grace or me allowing God to work through me? It's more important... Just make sure God's working through you. That's what's important. Right. This influence before the law was God face to face. How did he interact with, for instance, Adam? He was walking in the midst of the garden with them right. face to face. Nice. That's how the divine influence reached Adam and Eve. How did the divine influence reach people during the law? That dispensation? Well, it was through the law. That's how God's influence reached people during the times of Moses. Today, after Pentecost, that influence comes by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit within us. Now, where you can see this definition, if you're wondering, where'd you get this definition? We didn't invent it. It's non-contradictory. In fact, it's in the older Strong's Concordances. 
the definition of the Greek word charis in the Strong's Concordance actually states this. It'll say, especially the divine influence upon the heart and its reflection in the life. And again, dictionaries are made by men. They are tools. They can be useful, especially when they help us understand the non-contradictory definitions. So finally, I'll just say this. Works are important. Hmm. They yeah. are. Yeah. We see that in the faith episode, right? Faith without works is dead. Right. Works are important as it results to grace too. We're talking about reflecting in our life. But works are an effect. What's the cause? The cause of grace is the divine influence. So that's how when God works through me and these works are a result that grace in salvation is not of works because it's not me doing it. It's God's spirit through me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Pastor Joel. This has been What the Flock. Thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, if you've been hurt by church, you're not alone. We're here for you.